Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Today's Forest Spotlight is a topic that I like to call entering the wild. And there's really two ways you can enter the wild. Let's be real. There's actually probably a thousand ways. And it's, a, of course, a spectrum. Like I like to remind myself every time I think there's two ways. But I'll look at it and say that many times the two ways are doing it consciously, where you're like consciously stepping into a forest or a park or a BLM land or your neighbor or your uncle's farm or your backyard or wherever you're at the little patch of wild land behind the Walmart parking lot or something, that little patch of land that you could walk around in and you're going to find like raccoon tracks and anything that's scavenging along the dumpsters or whatever, possums or something. And it's like wherever you go, you're, we're constantly as human beings entering different spaces. We're entering a space of one room to another in our house. We're entering from our house into the outside we're entering from the outside and into our car. We're entering from our car into a store or whatever. Like we're constantly moving from environments and spaces that have their own unique energy. And most of the time, I would say most of us are fairly unconscious about it. And I don't mean unconscious, oh, we don't know what we're doing. We're just like blindly stumbling around. No, I don't mean that. I mean, it's just that we're most of the time, our attention is on whatever's going on for us. And understandably so, because we're busy, we have stuff to do, we're trying to get all the things done on our lists, or we're trying to, you know, just accomplish things or get whatever's done so we can then get to the next activity that we're maybe looking forward to more. And that, in a lot of ways, is how I see most of the way we live our lives, this sort of unconscious, driven, internal dialogue, dominated social construct that we're living in, that where that program, if you will, is working through us and we are just churning right along. And yeah, we're no, we notice when we're going to a store or where we're going, we know when we're going in and out of our house, we're aware of all those things and we know that we're making it happen. But we don't always have the time to slow down and really pay attention to what might actually be happening. And just compartmentalize part of our brain to just clue in and say, hey, what's going on here? And not ha take a break from that agenda. And so I guess that's what I'm really trying to say is that there's this sort of daily driven system uh, approach. And then there's also this other approach that I'm talking about, which is like a conscious crossing the threshold and then entering that space with a feeling of awakeness, being awake, being alert, being conscious of what I'm hearing, what I'm feeling, what I'm smelling, what I'm, all the things, right? What am I seeing? The textures, the patterns, where are my blind spots, all those things. So on a spectrum, you can say, all right, yeah, over here, you're like unconsciously stepping in. And there's just a 5% of our attention is really on what's going on in, in the scene. And then you have the other way, which is, oh, now we're tipping more, maybe 70 or 80% of it is on really being conscious of what we're doing. And there's still 5, 10, 15% of us with the agenda of, oh yeah, I got to make dinner or whatever else that's always running. And to me, this is something that started to happen for me the deeper I went into my study of the natural world. So my study of tracking or wilderness survival or becoming a better naturalist, if you will, or a crafter, someone who's looking for materials to gather, to make a basket or whatever. All those things began working on me along with like my trainings and classes and experiences with my friends and everything, all of that began working on me to just continuously deepen my connection to nature. And I was pretty conscious of it because I knew that was where I wanted to go. I knew that was what was important to me. 
And it was more important to me than, than just say, okay, I'm doing carpentry with my boss and we're working away. And like, I, I was always very present doing those things. And I was happy to be there doing those things, earning some money, learning some skills, loved that. But I knew that I was really trying to earn money as well. And my, in the back of my mind, as I was doing that consciously, I was trying to earn enough money to then take another class or save up for a couple months so that I could take two or three weeks off and go out to Colorado or go to the desert, go somewhere and test my skills, learn, focus more on track, whatever it was, I wanted to keep going in that direction. And that was a, a like an inner thing for me. I really wanted to get closer to something. I, I don't know exactly what it was. I know that I got a lot from, again, books like Black Elk Speaks and a lot of other like native stories and poetry and the philosophy and also like conversations that I've had with native people where they're just, we're just hanging out and I'm hearing these stories and the stories are carrying me into a different place, into a different world. And I just was like, I want to know a little more about that. I want to know how to get there and to be there myself and also to grow in that experience and, and if it's see if it's possible. And in the meantime, also have fun making stuff and checking things out and feeling like I belong on the landscape. And I think that's also what I was looking for was a way to belong in the world, to have a place in the world without going into a lot of detail with my own life. There's, I think we, I think that it's very common in the human experience and myself included to feel if you're someone that really values like this nature and that nature experience, there's, there really isn't a societal equivalent to that longing. I guess maybe you could say it would be something like a monk or a nun or someone who like says, Hey, I want to devote my life to God and to prayer and meditation and mastery and service and so forth. And I, I think that's similar. I, I don't feel like it's religiously similar in that way, but, but it was, it, there was something there that you, there just isn't a commercial alternative to it or an understanding. So for me, I always just felt like I'm outside of society, that society doesn't really have any need for me, or I don't fit in. There isn't really a home or a, a, a place where you really belong. And you can get closer to that at times. Like it would, I would feel good when I would see something and it would just be like, oh, here's all these people. And they really love going fishing and there's like trout unlimited and they, they like care about the fish and all that. And I could feel that I could be like, oh yeah, I get that there's a, a community of that, a brotherhood or sisterhood of those people sharing that love of something. And yet for what I was trying to accomplish, I did not feel like there was something that really matched what I felt like I wanted to do. And if somebody ever asked me that, I would just be like, I don't really know what I want to do. So <laughs> like, it's pretty hard to match something when you're not even able to map it out yourself and then put words to it and describe it. So Anyway, I, as I was learning these things, I'm trying to get a little deeper, go out. Like, in other words, I would consciously begin stepping slightly outside of society, so to speak, and culture and the rush of things, the how everything in society takes itself so important. It's like in the news today, blah, 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 blah. And it's just, like, this is so important. Everyone focused your attention here on this thing. And whatever, that's fine. But I, I purposely tried to step away and, and just be on the fringe of that. I like to know a lot of things. So I still knew what was going on, but I didn't let that be occupying a huge portion of my brain on a conscious level. I didn't spend a lot of time worrying about every little thing. I focused a lot more on what I felt was important to me. And so when I would go out and say, gather pine rootlets to make baskets, 
when I'd find a, like a big spruce tree or something that had tipped over in the forest and all the roots are exposed and it, it's a fresh tree that that fell in a storm. There's a lot of really incredible roots you can gather. And I was just like, oh man, I'm going to gather a bunch of these and coil them up, peel the, peel the bark, do all the stuff that you need to do to prepare all that. And there's a lot of time that I would spend in the forest. My fingers are just like stained with this like rich, sticky kind of smell of the pot, of the spruce roots. And I'm sitting in the moss. I'm getting eaten alive by a couple of mosquitoes. And I'm just there in the forest. And because I don't, I didn't try to have a really tight agenda, I was allowed for myself to have more time. And when you have, allow yourself more time and space, there's a lot of things that can start to integrate. Uh, so that, yes, I'm there, I'm gathering some bundles of, and coils of rootlets and doing the stuff. But there's also the, maybe 60 or 70% of me is really just trying to feel the gift of this tree and to say, hey, you fell down. You just created a huge hole in this forest. All these other cool things are going to happen here. Elderberries are going to grow. Blackberries are going to grow. This is going to be a incredible place for wildlife for probably about 20 years. And you're also losing these roots and I'm going to take these roots and make something beautiful. And I'm going to really consciously carry the beauty of this tree and this forest and this place where you lived your whole life for whatever that tree might be 110 years old. So for 110 years, you lived in this space and I'm going to be carrying this basket to my programs to hold whatever tools or something. And they're going to see that basket. And I know that you will be with me in my program. And so I want to be conscious of that. And I want you to know that I'm really thankful for that. And I'm trying to find a way to connect and, and really anchor that, this feeling in, inside of me so it, it, I can be effective, so I can, it can infuse what I do with something different than just Ricardo trying to teach everyone about tracking or leave no trace or whatever, like having this sort of logical sequence of things I want to teach. And if I could describe 20 or 30 or 50 of these experiences, because I would do that when I would go out looking for antlers or bones or I'd just go out and go tracking or I'd go out and make a gather grass to make a grass mat or grass blanket. When I go out and say, hey, I'm going to do some ta hide tanning or whatever, I just... I, I started to try to get as conscious as I could of, okay, I'm going to start working with my hide right now. And, and I remember I had gone to a, um, it was a um, flute making workshop, a Native American flute making workshop with a man. His name was Hollis, uh, I think his Little Creek is his name. And it was an elder that was just an amazing man. And there was another young, I want to say he was an elder to me, but he was younger than Hollis and his name was Jerry Ule. And he, they both were teaching this class about making a Native American flu. And one of the things that I remember very vividly and how it impacted me was that Hollis, Grandfather Hollis said, if you're making a flute or a drum or a bow or an arrow or anything, and you are not in the right mind to really consciously be there and to be in a good space. And if not a good space, at least be in a neutral space. But if you're in a, a, if you're distracted or your mind is really busy or you're feeling a lot of emotions that are, you're conflicted, you're upset or whatever, he'd always say, put that stuff down, take a walk. Like just in other words, get your mind when you're going to come in and do this you really want to make sure you get your mind because otherwise the flute will not play sweetly. And let me tell you, when you're making flutes, you have to make like tons and tons of flutes and it's frustrating and you have to, I've had lots of flutes that I made just be horrible because either I was frustrated while I was doing it and probably a lot of that was ADHD, but I found that tested out over a couple of decades that being in the right headspace is so important. And 
him telling me that and then me thinking about it a lot and going, is he just saying that or is he, does he really mean it? And I, he definitely meant it and he didn't really go into a lot of detail, but I took that to heart. And so everything I did, I would try to just make sure I was in the right space to go out. And sometimes, let's be real, sometimes I'm driving on the road and I go, oh my gosh, look at that. There's a whole bunch of dog bane. It's a perfect time to gather it. I pull over. I'm like, oh no, I'm on the highway. I don't want a police to come and give me a ticket. Jump out, grab a bunch of dog bane, throw it in the back of my truck and get in the car and go before I get in trouble or something. Now, am I going to go there and sit in with the dog bane and meditate or whatever? Sometimes the wind is blowing or it's raining or snowing or whatever, or I may have to just get home. So I have this other stuff, but within the doing of that, I can just, I, I know that even though I'm moving fast and I'm excited, I can feel like that same gratefulness. I can still feel the appreciation and I could try to absorb as much of that experience, even in the chaos of whatever is happening. And I don't beat myself up if I don't, but at the time that was, it, it just became more and more natural for me to try to slow down and to be more aware of where I was going and what I was doing. And I remember at that time, I started to travel. I would travel home to California to visit my family at different times. And one of my favorite things to do was to go to the coast. And so I would jump in a, my car or something and go out to the Sonoma coast up in Cal California, north of uh, San Francisco. And there were these little glades of rev redwood trees. There were obviously different groves that people would know because you've all been, many of you have been there, Armstrong Woods and so forth, Muir Woods. But there were also little places where you could just be on a back road and there'd be a little valley, a little mini valley that was like nestled in there. And there were these huge tall trees growing in there and might only be like whatever, 20 trees. But there was a little redwood grove. And then, of course, there's the other larger Douglas firs or whatever as well. And then scrub oak and the manzanita and madrones and the bay laurels and all that. But I would go out to those places and I used to try to get there really early in the morning. I'd stay at a friend's house and then I'd get up and I would drive to the coast and when you get there in California, almost all the time uh, in the mornings, there's a fog. There's either a marine layer of fog that's, you know, high up off the, it's got a good ceiling. It's not right in your, you're not getting fog drifting over your face. It's just a thicker cloud layer over you. But as you get closer to the coast, that fog becomes more at your level and you're watching fog drift up the river or drift up the creek or the valley. and you know, the, the moisture would come and just start condensing on these trees and you'd hear this drip in the forest. And when I, as I would be driving, I would see that the land is changing, that the, we're getting close to the ocean. You could feel that. And then I would get out of my car and go into these forests and maybe walk on a trail or wind around. And I'm trying to get maybe out to the coast as a, maybe a secondary goal, but I just would try to spend a, a few hours or a day or two, not just me doing that, not going with my friends and talking about wilderness skills or talking about whatever else is going on in our lives and everything, but to really give myself that time to spend with those trees, with the land, with the everything in that environment. And being on that coast, I it felt like that wildness, like I was trying to enter the wild. I wasn't necessarily trying to enter the wild in the 20th century, which is 1997 or 1906, 96 or 95. Like it wasn't that. It wasn't those days. It was me entering that place in a way that was uh, timeless. So it was, it was trying to experience it the way the redwood trees experience it or the the animals experience it or the stones or like that there's this sort of feeling of can i leave the cultural stuff behind 
and enter something that's a little bit more primordial. Yeah, something ancient. And I would feel like that would start to happen. And it's just, especially with the fog, there would be this feeling of I could sit down by the ocean of my gut to the end of the trail and I'm at this beach somewhere and I'm winding down the rocks and I'm down by the crashing of the waves and the this sort of crumbling coastal rock and there's like driftwood logs and bull kelp seaweed sitting and you could feel that sour, <laughs> that sour smell of kelp that's been sitting out there out of the ocean for a long time and it's starting to ferment a little bit and the salt is in the air and the waves are just like pounding it's like a thunderous like boom as the as the waves hit the sand and then you hear the bubbling foam of the wave going up the sand and then the hiss as it recedes back into the water and then there's that pause where you then hear the water start to curl again and then slam that there was this rhythm that happened it was like a pounding hiss and then pause pounding hiss and they're just being in that place hearing the seagulls smelling those smells it was infusing that landscape into my brain into my body and my being whatever and all of those pieces all of those things are were working on me whether it was like oh the sand that was getting into my shoes i'd take my shoes off and i'd feel the coldness of the sand and, and some of the roughness of it if it was gravelly and i just it would be nothing for me to describe in every detail lots of different aspects of almost any place along the coast, like Point Reyes, Jenner, the, all the different beaches. Whatever. I just remember being there and looking down and seeing the blue, the blue and the black and pearl of like mussel shells or the abalone, pieces of abalone shell that are just this like incredible rainbow mica looking fragments that have been rounded by the pounding of sand that were just so beautiful and pieces of jade and then looking at the tide pools and it's these little mini aquariums with sea anemones and stuff there just so beautiful and yet it's just even though there's a highway not far away and there's little towns nearby and all that there's this like pocket where it can it could be literally a thousand years ago and i wouldn't know there's just no trace of humans there except me and for me i'm trying to shed that human experience and just be there like like all the other animals and and everything and doing that and being conscious of that was incredibly helpful for me because it, i felt like when i was in those spaces that i belonged that i was welcomed into those spaces sometimes nature could be really indifferent to who I am. And other times I would feel welcomed. Other times I would feel like, oh, they were giving me this like wonderful gift. And by the ocean there, I don't know what it is, but the, the Northern California ocean and the oak trees and the redwoods and the hills and stone, everything, that landscape just felt like a home in a way. And that I felt like I belonged there. And I felt just so grateful for that. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't like out there fishing. I wasn't foraging all the time. I wasn't doing anything except just being there and trying to be as conscious of that place as I could to sear that into my being so that I could carry that with me, knowing that I had to leave and go back to New York at some point or travel some other place. I knew I only had this window of time. And I'd like to say that, oh, I spent, oh, I spent 12 days out there or whatever. I really didn't. It might only have been two days or a day, sometimes only half a day. But when I become more conscious about what's going on and what I'm doing, three hours can be a lifetime 
when you're really in that space, when you're not distracted, when the outside world is really starting to drift away, it, it stretches outward or expands somehow inside of me. So I tried to bring that every time I would go there and go to a different place or as I, and so all the years that I was studying these skills and traveling, and I wasn't necessarily like fully doing everything with Hawk Circle or raising a family or anything. I was just really dialed in. And that, there's something about that. And I don't know what it is, something about it, because it seems to add something to my experience that I don't, that I can tell when someone is, has been like learning wilderness skills and they're really into it, but they never have really quite gotten to that place yet. There's something that I can tell when they do, it's going to really change things for them. Not that it's good or bad, but just that it's different. And I know that it did help my teaching when I would be as an educator. It would help me to, in some way, it seemed to really support when I would share stories or whatever. Like it just felt like the children listened in a different way than they did sometimes when I would have a 22 year old staff that would come in and tell a story. They lift, just listen to it differently somehow. And so anyway, I, those are just like side, it doesn't even matter really. I try to track all of these things, but that was one of my, one of my big, one of my first experiences was to start to infuse that with going to a place again and again, like North, like Northern California with a lot of time in between visiting. And the same thing is true for the Mojave, but it was very different. When I entered the desert, when I entered that wild, that a lot of times it was like September, late September and October, and sometimes even November. I spent a lot of time in Death Valley and I spent a lot of time in areas of the Mojave, south of Death Valley, and also up in the Owens Valley. And of course, also in the canyon lands in Utah and some of Arizona as well. And being in the desert is a really different experience. When you're by the ocean, there's this, there's all this water and there's like a feeling that there's a lot of life around you. And the, there's a lot of different smells. There's eucalyptus trees and there's like calla lilies coming down from fresh water out of the mountains that then has these little mini waterfalls that fall out off of the cliffs on the rocks and make these little things. A little tiny drip like that is so magical because you can go there and say, what the, look at that. It's just incredibly beautiful. This little thing with this fresh water dripping down and all the different plants, the roots going into that, trying to get that water and, you know, living there, clinging to life and thriving. And, and then you go to the desert and driving into the desert, parking, walking away from my car, walking out, whether it's on a trail or not, there, there were things that started to happen for me because I would get there. And I, I realized I was doing this because as I got closer to where I was going to go and explore, I would just stop playing my radio. I wouldn't play music. I wouldn't like listen to a book on tape. Like I wouldn't do any of that because I would just want to experience the, the silence and experience and just let all the internal chatter kind of drift away a little bit. And you can't get rid of all of it, but, but I would just try to not add any other distractions. As I got closer, like if I knew I was a couple of days away, I would just start to really phase that out. This is, of course, way before cell phones and smartphones. So I wasn't like checking the weather or checking my GPS. There's no GPS. I had a map. And most of the time I knew where I was going. I knew the roads. I knew they really probably wouldn't change much. And I'd go down and find a trailhead, find someplace and go into these spaces. And when you're, when I was in Death Valley, the consciousness part for me was really about stepping out of my car and feeling the warmth, feeling the, the heat, the dryness. Sometimes it was cold, but most of the time it was pretty warm. 
and feeling the warmth like radiating from the sun off of the stones and the earth. It's a very different experience than what you have in the East Coast where the ground is very moist and so the sun comes down and there's every square inch of the ground is covered in grass or vines or plants and goldenrod and asters and all the different types of grasses and all the different types of shrubs and little trees and seedlings. There's just, it's just blasting out because it's like, hey, yay, we have moisture, we have, we have sunlight and energy and we've got all these minerals in the soil, we're ready to go. And then when you get to the desert, there's no moisture and there's no soil. It's literally just like gravel and chunks of lava or whatever. And where there isn't gravel, there's sand. And the sticks and the, all of the plants, for the most part, look like they're dead. <laughs> like it's, they're just like a dried up old stick. And you're like, yeah, that has to be dead stick. Because if you saw that on the East Coast, it would be a dead thing. It would be like all withered and dried and desiccated. And it would be a dead plant. In the desert, it's just a plant that's waiting until it rains. And then as soon as it rains, very shortly after, it'll burst out with stuff and bloom or whatever. And there were things like date palms around the visitor centers and some different creosote bushes and stuff like that where they have little tiny leaves that are all waxy and you could say oh yeah that that isn't a live plant but it doesn't look like it's really that alive uh, but it is but in the mojave desert there isn't as much of like lots and lots of cactus it's not the same as like the sonoran desert when you go down into arizona and a lot of it just feels like you're in a gravel parking lot or and and you're just walking and everything is the same and and then you're maybe moving towards a distant hill or a mound and there's almost nothing to feast your mind as soon as you can get out from the view of your car or the road or any other trails or whatever which isn't hard to do it's just you and the the dried ground and a few sticks and the sky and there's something about that that was really important to me. It, it just scoured my brain. <laughs> it scoured me and burned away all of these things that would come up as I was out there. My brain would say, what are you doing out here? We should go do this. We should be somewhere else. Why don't we go down by the river someplace, find a river, and then like work on making a fire. There was all these things that would start going through my brain trying to get me to do something that it could grab onto and then do something useful maybe. And I would just say, yeah, okay, that's all right. This is what we're doing right now. I'm walking in this giant gravel parking lot that's called the Mojave Desert and feeling the wind and looking at this burning sun and spending a little bit of time estimating how long it would be before I died if I didn't have water. And at the same time, just letting that, letting every bit of that at place just work on me. Like right now I have, I, I do have like tinnitus, tinnitus, however you pronounce it. So I, I do hear like a ringing in my ears a lot, but I remember vividly being in that place when I was younger and ha not having that and just having the silence be so almost absolute except for the sound of planes overhead or sometimes hearing the wind blow through all of the few plants or even over the rocks, just that little bit of wind. And then hearing, of course, my crunch of my feet as I walked. And it, I don't want to say that it was like a vision quest, so to speak, because I know that it was in a way, but there was something about that just helped me to let go of a lot of things that held me back at that time. I had a lot of, I had a lot of fears about starting my own programs or, Hey, am I ever going to meet someone and have a family? Or I would feel fear that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't, I didn't have enough wilderness skills. Or I didn't have enough training. I didn't have enough experience. I like all these things would come up for me. And these are all things that are always there, but they would because my mental chatter would be on getting groceries or doing laundry or doing all my stuff, they never really got 
time. I didn't get a lot of time to really let them come out and then confront them or really turn them around and look and listen and really experience it. And so being out there, the first couple of times that I went out, it was hard. It was really difficult because as those voices were coming out, it could sometimes feel like it was going to take over, it, that it was that the fears and the worries were going to be so intense that would just be too much. It would overwhelm me. And I, I don't know, I was used to being uncomfortable at that time because I had been uncomfortable physically. I'd been out when it was cold. I've been out in the, at night when I couldn't see anything, when I didn't know what we were doing in like some class or whatever. I, I'd been in c uncomfortable things. Oh, there's a lot of mosquitoes. Oh, this is really challenging trying to tan these hides or make up things, use different tools. Like all these things were there. And so I was able to just say, all right, right now I'm having a mentally challenging experience, but I'm going to just go through it just like I did those other times. And I'm going to let that uncomfortable, just sit in that, just sit in that. And I'll tell you, there's nothing that our fears hate more. It seemed, at least for me, my fears hate when I go, all right, let's just, we're going to be in it. And they're like, no, the fear always seems to say, no, you got to do this because this is so uncomfortable. We got, we can't do it. And it's that may be, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what's real and what's not, because I don't know if what you're worried about is really real. And it, it sounds really great when I say it right now, but man, hell, it was so bad. It was just like the worst feeling to be in that space. And I can sit there and now and say, oh, and I went through it. Yes, I did go through it, but I was also lonely. I would be incredibly, I would just feel like I'm the only person here on this planet. And I'm, maybe I'm the only one, like I'm the only one right now. And, and maybe I'm always going to feel this alone out here in the desert with nobody. And, and if I died right now, no one would even know. They might not even find my body for 10 years or something. And which isn't true, but, but again, like it would just be the feeling of that, that such a, I don't know. Being in the Mojave Desert at times, or just I could feel like I was on the moon, and like being um, the man on the moon, or being in Mars, or being like just so away from everything that sometimes makes us human. Is that that tribal feeling of belonging, or being part of a family, and having friends, and having people that you around? Like you're just there, and it's just stripping away every shred of pain and memories are popping up left and right of things that I said that I wish I had never said or things that happened to me that I then went, why, why did that happen to me? It was a brutal experience in a way. And yet at the same time, it felt like, oh, that's okay. It's okay that those things happen and that I'm going to let the sun and the wind and these stones just burn it away. There's really no place for it to go except away from me. And, and at the same time as I'm going inward, I'm also trying to go outward. What's crazy about those places is that there's like very little for you to really look at right around you because it's so nondescript. And then at the same time, there's the horizon and there's the clouds and then the way the clouds are just drifting and moving over, over us. And there's almost this weird, like silvery gray clouds that are like cirrus clouds, those high clouds that the sun goes behind and looks, it has, the sun gets this like weird color to it. Almost, I almost want to say it's like black and white, but it's not, but it just, it takes a blue from a blue sky with regular, like yellow light to this weird silvery, I don't even know if this is a real, I don't, they use it in like science fiction movies and stuff. They put a filter on it, but it looks like a filter. And just being out there, there was something also fun about being there because I was just like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. I don't have any control over it, but I know that in my heart, this feels like a good place to be. And I, I was always really grateful for those places 
that they were willing to take whatever it was I had to get rid of and just help me out. And what was left at the end of those stays, and again, might only be for a day or half a day or two days or whatever. At the end of those times, I just would find myself just laying on the ground and just going, there's nothing left. I, I don't have anything left. I can't cry anymore. I can't laugh. Anymore. I just, I feel like everything has just gone out of me and I'm just peaceful and quiet. And then I would get up and I would feel strong and I would feel alive. And I would just, everything around me that I, when I'd look in each direction would feel like, this is good. This is good. Oh, looking down to the South, it is good. It is beautiful. And I would look to the West and the North and the East. I would just kind of circle those directions in a way and just acknowledge that feeling of I'm here to do something. And I'm starting to feel like I know what it is. And all those things that got burned out of me were things that helped me to be able to be clear on what it is, why I'm here, what I'm trying to do. And that is, for me, one of the biggest helpers or tools or insight, if you will, to, to support the vision of what I've tried to build with Hawk Circle and this podcast and the Forest Educator Initiative and all the other things I'm doing. Because I'm trying to cut through the chatter and the, what do they call that? The chaff of the wheat, all the papery bits that kind of cover, cover the wheat or the oats or whatever the grains are to get through all of that, to find the kernels of what's really important. And it was in those spaces that I could actually really see. And yet I had to go through that and to do, I had to go through it and I had to go through it in a way that was conscious because a lot of times when I didn't go into the woods, the desert, whatever, the mountains, consciously, um, it could go sideways. Like I would could spend a lot of my time going, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to blame so-and-so for why this happened or why that happened. I'm going to blame this. When it wasn't just letting go of that, I would just find that the mental state that I would be in would just be a cycle of victim, blame, victim, blame. Oh, I feel bad that I did this, but I, I, that makes me uncomfortable. Let me go over here. Like it, it just ping, it was like a pinball, like the, the old style pinball game where the ball goes out and it hits these different bumpers and it's just like all around and so deeply unsatisfying. <laughs> And, and I would find myself getting more frustrated because of my trip that I was hoping to have and the experience I was hoping to have, whether it's a hike or half a day or a day, the experience I was hoping to have wasn't happening because I was just sitting in that chaos and that energy. It was just not, nothing good was really going to come out of that except that I was getting sick of it. And at some point I would have to let go. So there is just trying to throw out there, there's it doesn't always work like that. If you go out there, like just know that it, you might have to do it. Like I did this over years when I would go out to consciously go out that way. And if I was with a bunch of people, I really didn't necessarily tell people that I was doing that. I just would try to get a little bit of time alone, even 20 minutes and enter into that space and, and then move out of it, move back, move out, come back, visit with everybody and do it. it. It's a little weird. I know sometimes people can freak out. If you're around a lot of people and then you're doing that back and forth, it can make them very uncomfortable because they can feel that you're not really there. And then they get really worried. They're like, oh no, is he losing his marbles? Is he fading into the wilderness? Or like they can just go, hey, I'm not getting that. Hey, Rick. And then getting this response of like me being right there with them. And so it took me a little bit of time to make sure that I was really fully back inside myself so that when I rejoined everyone, I was really present with them so that they wouldn't worry about me. Not that I was caretaking them. I just, I didn't want them to worry. And I also know that it does make people uncomfortable when you go deep into your stuff. I guess the reason that I'm thinking about this now and 
sharing this is because to me, this is something that is so, something I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about, especially in just like wilderness education and everything else, but the self-examination, the scouring, the connection, the belonging, those are all big things that I know that I needed to address or deal with or confront or be open to experiencing things differently and, and work on what gets in the way of me being really present, what gets in the way. By no means did I, do I, would I say that I am like, I learned everything about this. being married and being in a long-term relationship. That is another way that you can learn to become really present because if you have someone who's also on that path and very conscious, you will be in a crucible of a different kind. And that can be tough. And it's, I just want to say it's worth it because there's a benefit on the other side. And it wasn't anything that I even knew that I was looking for. And I didn't really know until I recognized and got that I was on the other side. I just knew that it got easier and easier. And after after a time, I would go out, I would travel across the country, stop in Utah, go in some canyons, hang out with a couple rattlesnakes in the bottom of a canyon or something, then go out and sit and watch the sunset. And I just didn't get those uncomfortable feelings. And even though nothing had really changed, I was like, I could still feel a little bit lonely at times, but I, my, my sense of who I was, that core that I had exposed in those different places is, was solid. And it was something that I could feel like this is a, this is the rock, the bedrock from which I'm building my life, from which I'm building something to make a difference for a vision or whatever. And so it, it changed for me. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not like saying, oh, I'm, I'm better or cured or anything. Like I was still very unconscious about a lot of things and I've had a lot to learn, still do have a lot to learn as I don't think it'll ever really end, but it made a difference for me because it allowed me to start taking larger leaps of leaps of faith or acts of power, if you will, because I took the time to scour away all the stuff that was dead weight and things that were illusions or stories that I'd made up or whatever, and just tried to find rock bottom, find like the cords of muscle and intention and will and inner understanding and awakening. And I don't really know. I did this in the Grand Canyon. I did this in the Flint Hills of Kansas. I did this in Virginia and the Pine Barrens and in Cape Cod and the mountains of Western Maine and like all in the Adirondack. Like I did this all over. Everywhere I go, I would try to find a moment, an hour, whatever, to do that. And the more I did that experience, more I began entering the wild kind of conscious way and doing that, it it really got easier. But I have to stress, it wasn't like, oh, Rick went to the Rick went to the ocean by Bodega Bay for one time for three hours, and then he went to the Mojave Desert for a day. No, it was over and over. Like I would spend five days in Death Valley and I would hike up Golden Canyon and I would hike up Mosaic Canyon and I'd be over in the sand dunes. And I'm not talking about the fun part of the sand dunes, but like some weird spot way in the back. And I would just sit by a bunch of dead, dead clumps of grass and just sit there and watch the wind move the sand around. Like it's just over and over. In Ohio, man, I'm telling you, I, I spent a lot of time wandering around listening to the cicadas in a campground, public campground, driving across there and under a full moon and just not being able to sleep because they're so loud and just going, what is happening? And and letting the sound of that cicada just go over me. I don't know, maybe that caused my tinnitus, I don't know. But it was something that I knew I needed to do. And I don't know what it would be like to really do that now if I was starting out right now, because I know I don't know if the internet and cell phones and streaming platforms and whatever else is going on, TikTok and all, we're, we live such a life that's connected online. And I don't know. 
I would love to hear from anyone who is maybe experiencing that to know how is that to disengage. It's different for me because I already created that pathway 25 years ago. And so for me, I can step out of my car into the woods and be there fully present in like seconds because I've cleared that path for myself. I don't know how it is now. So I'm curious, but Anyway, I really wish all of you the best, the best for your lives and for the work you're doing and for your experiences with the natural world to know that you're okay, that at your core, you are someone who I know nature will accept and be, be welcomed in this deeper world and more ancient world. And so I really, I hope that maybe some of these stories will just give you something to think of as you go on your next walk or something. And by no means am I saying, hey, you want to listen to a podcast while you're walking along on a trail? Go for it. You want to listen to some music? It's totally, all of that is all good. But if there's something that you feel you want to try, yeah, give it a shot and see what happens. Anyway, I really want to say thank you to all of you for all that you do. Have a great one. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.